right, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, uh, the Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Jonathan Sadler. Uh, so uh, I got Scott Smelser with me today. How are you doing today, Scott? You're all right. How about you, Jonathan? I'm doing well. Doing well. Things are going well. Um, and Justin Dobbs is going to try to be joining us today, um, but he may be a few minutes late. Uh, and so we'll see if we can uh, get him on later in our discussion. But we can go ahead uh, and get started with our discussion for today. Um, so, uh, Scott, you want to introduce what we're going to start doing today? Yeah, we're going to start once a month working our way through a gospel. And the guys suggested Mark. So uh, that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, we won't be every week on it, but about one out of four, occasionally one out of five. So once a month, once a month we'll be working our way through the gospel of Mark. Um, first off, Jonathan, why don't we just mention a few things about the gospel of Mark that make it different than other gospels. Because all the gospels are similar in that they give teachings of Jesus, miracles of Jesus, the apostles, the crucifixion, resurrection. Uh, but then each of them sometimes has their own character or, or uh, certain points in it. What are some things that you would highlight about the gospel of Mark, Jonathan? Now, one of the things that you'll notice immediately is Mark is much shorter than the other gospels. Um, and it doesn't have as much detail. And it, when you open it up and start reading, um, he jumps right in, <laughs> uh, like a, immediately into Jesus's ministry. Matthew will start with the prophecy of Jesus's birth and then his eventual birth. Uh, Luke will actually start with John the Baptist's birth <laughs> um, or the prophecy of his birth and then go to Jesus's birth. Um, and so it takes a while to get to Jesus's ministry in Matthew and in Luke. Um, but right here, he just, uh, Mark just jumps right in uh, into, the, uh, into the gospel. Yes. So if you are a person that likes to get to the point quickly, then you'll probably like the gospel of Mark. Um, so, and we've got a request there. It says, play this on air, please. I think we are. Uh, and if you want to tell the audience again how they can hear us, John. Uh, I think that's just the uh, YouTube. They wanted to share that YouTube video. Oh, I see. I see. All right. Thanks. All right. So um, it's shorter. Uh, one of the key words is immediately, uh, and the verb tenses are kind of interesting. Every once in a while, just a history telling what happened, but sometimes it will switch to the present, kind of like when we're telling a story and we're kind of excited about it, and in the present tense, we say, so I go into the store, and there, I see this guy, and then he says this, you know, you're not saying I went and I saw, you're, you're coming into the present tense in the gospel will do that some uh appears to be written generally understood uh for initially a roman audience and with that let's go ahead and get into it uh i'll read the first eight verses and i'll ask jonathan to comment on some of those and then we'll just continue mark one verse one the beginning of the gospel of jesus christ the son of god even it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who shall prepare their way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make thee ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John came, who baptized in the wilderness, and preached the baptism of repentance under remission of sins. And there went unto him all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem, and they were baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and had leather, a leathern girdle about his loins, and did eat locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, 
there comes after me he that is mightier than I, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I baptize in you in water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. John? Um, yeah, so uh, it's really kind of interesting, a little bit strange how it starts out. So the first sentence is um, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Um, but then it starts talking about somebody else. <laughs> um, it starts talking about this guy named John uh, in verse 4 who appeared in the wilderness, and that's right after this prophecy. Um, so that's a little bit strange that you want to introduce Jesus and the good news about Jesus but you start talking about somebody else first. Well, that is how God originally planned it and intended it. This quote in verse two and three is from Isaiah chapter 40, um, where the prophet Isaiah said that there's going to be this voice crying in the wilderness that was going to be preparing the people for the coming Messiah, for the coming Lord. And introducing, and introducing it. Yeah. So and so it's, yeah, so it's kind of like this this procession, like we have this idea of like the, the king is coming, well, you have this herald coming before the king to prepare the people for the king's arrival. Um, and that's exactly how Mark starts out. So if you're not familiar with that, it seems a little bit weird. It's like, wait, I thought we were talking about Jesus. Why why is John <laughs> coming on the scene? Well, he's he's his whole purpose is to get the people ready for Jesus. And he does a couple of things in the first few verses to prepare the people for Jesus in various different ways. Um, I'll, I'll mention one of those in this, Scott, if you want to talk about maybe a, another one. The primary thing that he's doing is teaching people that someone is coming after him who is going to be much greater than him. Um, and so he wants to prepare them for the authority of Jesus, the worthiness of Jesus, um, that, that he's the guy that you really need to listen to uh, and, and prepare them for that kind of picture of Jesus. So he has things like in verse 7 where he says, there's coming somebody after me who's mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. So to put that in like our language today, the person that John is preparing the world for, he's not even worthy to untie their shoes, <laughs> um, like the, the lowliest of jobs. So that's one of the primary things he wants to show. This is the greatness of Jesus. But there's some other things that he's trying to prepare the people for. What, what else do you see in that? So uh, another main part, of John's message is repent. So in Matthew, it's repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's preparing people for the kingdom and the king, but his message to people is repent. And over in the Gospel of Luke, you can see kind of what that looked like. Uh, a lot of tax collectors would say, what do we need to do? He says, you know, don't, don't take more than you're supposed to take. Soldiers ask, what are we to do? And he says, you know, don't extort people by violence. Be content with your wages, etc." repent get ready and uh there's coming somebody much more powerful than you all right verse 9 and 10 came to pass in those days that jesus came from nazareth of galilee and let's just mention the name jesus was a common name a lot of people had that name they did not pronounce it jesus we pronounce it in english jesus uh, but how's it pronounced in Spanish? That's Jesus. Jesus. And that's very close to how the Greeks pronounced it. Uh, but how the Jews would have pronounced it was Yeshua. And what Old Testament name is that, John? Yeah, it's Joshua. Yeah. Uh, if you remember Moses, uh, you know, after Moses, Joshua led the people in. And a lot of 
people named their babies Joshua, but this one would be have special significance in the name because the name conveyed that salvation is of the Lord or the Lord saves and Yah, Yahweh, Yeshua, salvation. And so Joseph had been told to name the baby the Lord saves or salvation of the Lord, Yeshua, Jesus, 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 because it's he that will save his people from their sins. But he was Yeshua from Nazareth at this point until people start realizing who he is. Came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized out of John in the Jordan. Straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens rent asunder in a spirit as a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. John baptized a lot of people, but this didn't happen to anybody else. John? Yeah, yeah, that's totally unique uh, in this. I, I like reading the story and just trying to put yourself there, like in the in the moment. Um, like, you know, I've seen people be baptized before. Never seen anything like this, <laughs> um, where, you know, you've got the, the heavens opened up, skies being ripped open. The spirit is descending like the dove that's there. And then you've got this voice of God speaking from heaven saying, this is my son. <laughs> This is the one I'm most pleased in. You know, I've seen people baptized before. That doesn't happen. So this is clearly, um, you know, an important person um, that's here. God, God putting his stamp uh, on this. And, and in a way, this is God's way of saying exactly what John said. Um, you know, John was saying over and over, this is the worthy one. This is the great one. This is the one to listen to. And then God comes in and says, yes, <laughs> you know, this is the worthy one. This is the great one. This is the one uh, to listen to. Um, and so I think this is just a really great way um, for, for Mark to begin the, his, his testimony about Jesus, the, the gospel about Jesus. Um, he starts with uh, an outside source, John, confirming the greatness of Jesus, but then also God the Father totally affirming who Jesus is and, and what Jesus is going to do. All right. Jonathan, how about take us through uh, 12 through 20? Yep. And I've got to step away for a moment. I'll be right back. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so verse 12 says, The Spirit immediately drove him out of the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Uh, so uh, you've got, uh, again, uh, a little bit more of kind of information um, that's uh, showing up in the beginning of Jesus' ministry and what he's planning on talking about uh, in, in his ministry and how he's going to grow uh, into what God intends him to be. 
Um, and so right after he's baptized, right after he gets the kind of stamp of approval from God in verse 11, where God says, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. Um, he goes off into the wilderness in verse 12. The spirit drives him out into the wilderness, leads him out there, and he ends up being tempted by Satan there. Um, there are several things that I want to kind of point out and see in that. One is that's a little bit weird. Um, at least at first reading to me, because Jesus is pleasing to God, and then Satan attacks. Uh, you know, you, you would think maybe shouldn't Satan leave him alone, um, uh, you know, after he goes and does what God wants him to do. Well, that's not what happens, and that's not what happens with us um, either. Um, often, whenever we're following God and doing what God wants us to do and are pleasing to God, that's when Satan wants to strike and attack. And so it's interesting that that's kind of the the exact moment that it happens. As soon as Jesus is baptized, as soon as the, the father says, this is my beloved son and whom I'm pleased, Satan is tempting him and, and trying to attack him. Um, and then another kind of impressive thing about this episode, how Mark records it, is when Jesus goes into the wilderness, who's with him? Uh, it says, nobody is with him, just the wild animals are with him. Now the angels come and minister to him as well, but he's alone um you know in the in the wilderness um and you just think about like how difficult it would be to overcome temptation when you're alone in the wilderness <laughs> um i think even more difficult uh you know the, the devil likes to isolate and conquer and the bible talks about satan in that way um peter will talk about him in that way in first peter chapter five that our adversary the devil is a roaring lion prowling around seeking someone to devour and like uh, you know, I don't know how literally Peter is meaning that, but the, the hunting tactics of a lion are not to attack the big packs and the strongest, but to kind of go around the outskirts and find the isolated and the weak and the sick um, and those kinds of things, um, people that are, that are on their own. But Jesus overcomes this temptation. Mark doesn't give a lot of detail. This is one of the examples where Mark skips a lot of the details that the other gospels will give, like in Matthew or in Luke like the specific temptations that Satan gives to, to Jesus. Um, but Jesus overcomes those temptations. He relies on the word of God and the spirit of God and uh, stands up to temptation, which is a really great example, uh, I think, for us. Um, and shows that Jesus is capable of being for us what he needs to be. Um, he's going to eventually become the sacrifice, the, the lamb of God that John would say that he is. Um, God's sacrifice to cover the sins of the world, and he's able to do that because he is perfect and spotless and without blemish. And here in the first few verses of Mark chapter 1, you can see uh, that, that Jesus is, is overcoming and, and living by the, by the power of God. Uh, Scott, do you have any comments about that? That's through like verse 13. Yeah, also it's interesting. Jesus is out in the wilderness. Where did the Israelites go? when they were called out in the wilderness, when they were called out of Egypt. And uh, they had trials in the wilderness. Jesus is going to go out in the wilderness. He's going to face trials, but he's going to overcome. And uh, it doesn't detail them here. If you want to read details, you can go back and look at Matthew chapter 4. Here, it just, um, uh, it's briefer. He was tempted. And then, verse 14 after John was delivered up, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and saying, the time is fulfilled 
the kingdom of God is at hand. Again, you can read in other gospels more details. And later in Mark, we'll see some details about why John was delivered up. But notice the message. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. There is a huge, huge amount of misinformation and confusion today that centers around a theory called premillennialism. And in short, that theory says that the kingdom didn't come. But Jesus said the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And of course, what does gospel mean? That means good news. Yes. And here it's used broadly. Hey, good news. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, believe the good news. Do people realize at this point that Jesus is going to do what 1 Corinthians 15 says is the heart of the good news, die for our sins and rise, be buried and rise from the dead? They don't understand that yet, but they're getting the message that there is good news. Yeah, yeah. and a part of that gospel message, and this I think is important, um, it, it's, it's, this is really familiar because we just read this. What Jesus is saying in verse 15 is almost exactly what John is saying in the first eight verses. Uh, he's saying the kingdom of God is coming, repent. <laughs> um, and so the, the message is still the same of repentance from John to Jesus. Um, and just a really simple thing to get from that in the opening pages of the gospel. If you want to come to the Lord, you have to change. That's twice in the first 15 verses. Mark hits that that you need to change, you have to repent. Um, and, you know, we, we often want, uh, I think it's it's a temptation for a lot of people or a thought of a lot of people, you want the benefits without the responsibilities. Um, but that's not how the gospel works. Right. You don't get the benefits of the gospel without taking on the personal responsibility of repentance and purifying yourself and coming to the Lord. So you can't get forgiveness, you can't get salvation, you can't get the blessings without the repentance um, that Jesus is talking about here. And the rest of the gospel will outline a lot of how that repentance is supposed to look. And Jesus gives really good, you know, teaching on that. But right at the beginning, that's the main point. Justin. I think it's also true that that you don't get into the kingdom because you're perfect. Uh, I think you're exactly right that um, the kingdom is, is not for people who are not looking to change. But the kingdom is also not for people who think that they don't need to change. Um, so, so there, there's this sense that um, Jesus opens wide the door, John opens wide the door to, um, to imperfect, sinful people uh, who know they need to change, who know that their lives are a mess, uh, and they're looking for uh, not just what's better, but, but for the good that Jesus wants to give them, this, this holy, righteous, uh, merciful relationship. Like the sinful woman in Luke 7 who comes and is washing Jesus's feet with her tears because she knows how she behaved, but she's also sorry. What does 2 Corinthians 7 say? Godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. And Jesus says she's forgiven and she's, of course, to, you know, go out and live a different life now. And we've got a question here. It says, uh, the text says immediately, that Simon followed him. Is this the first time Jesus interacts with Peter and he just follows him right away, no questions asked? I'm thinking the other gospels fill in the gaps. So I'm gonna ask uh, one of you to 
take us to John 1 and show the first time we see Peter interacting with Jesus and who created that interaction. But let's just notice several things here in the Gospel of Mark that it's not heavy on some of the details. Tempted in the wilderness. Doesn't break it down into the different three. Uh, after John was delivered up. We haven't seen yet in the text why he was delivered up. And he tells Peter to follow him, and he does, but it doesn't give the first time that he saw Peter. And Peter might have seen or heard Jesus from a distance or a little bit on some occasion before the event we're going to see. But this is, it seems to be the introduction of Peter to Jesus. So somebody want to go over that? John, one, please. Yeah, John chapter 1, um, really starting in verse 35, there's this, in the first few uh, verses of John, it has, again, John's introduction of Jesus, that there's somebody coming that's greater than me, um, and John the Baptist was really big in the first century. He had a lot of followers, a lot of traction, a lot of disciples that were with him, um, and in verse 35 and following, John is doing what he often did looking to Jesus, pointing to Jesus and saying, that's the one, that's the one that's greater than me. That's the one that you need to go to behold the lamb of God in John 1 36. And two of John's disciples hear John say that. And in verse 37, they went and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned around and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said, come and you will see. And they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed there with him that day for it was the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak was and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Um, and so one of these, Simon Peter, the guy that we're reading about in Mark 1, that immediately leaves and follows Jesus when he says, come follow me. He's Andrew's brother. And what Andrew will do is go and spend some time with Jesus, learn who Jesus is, learn that he's the Christ. And he comes, finds his brother Simon and says, you need to come see this. We found the Messiah. And so Peter will have this interaction with Jesus. Jesus will rename him to Peter from Simon to Cephas. Um, and that's all kind of outlined in John 1. But when Jesus comes in and finds them fishing and mending their nets and says, come and immediately follow me, that's likely not the first interaction Jesus had with those guys. They had probably heard from John. Andrew, at least, was one of John's disciples Andrew had spent some time with Jesus before he was called. And so, like, it's impressive what they do in Mark 1, and we'll, we'll hit on that, that they just leave. Um, but they, they knew who they were leaving to go and follow, um, at least some sense of his greatness and his teaching. And, and as always, when we look at the Gospels and see distinctions like that, uh, we need to ask why certain things are being emphasized or being told. We know the full story. You know, if you study the synoptic Gospels or a harmony of the Gospels, you look at all all four or Matthew, Mark, Luke together, uh, you'll get a fuller picture. But the question we could ask is why is it that those particular details are told who are missing? And it seems like Mark's really trying to emphasize um, the greatness of Jesus. Look how great Jesus is. Peter and Andrew, James and John, are going to drop everything in order to follow him. That's how great he is. And, and it's not like they take a year for this time. It's not like they take, you know, two years to decide. They see who Jesus is and they respond immediately, which we could say says something a lot about them, but it seems like Mark is really trying to get us to look through them to see what it says about Jesus, that Jesus is really convincing. Uh, Jesus is powerful, his teaching is true, and he's worth leaving everything in order to follow him. So you have these four fishermen, Peter, Simon, 
he's not referred to as Peter yet in the Gospel of Mark, Simon and Andrew. And uh, then he goes a little further and sees James and John. We also know from over in the Gospel of Luke that they are partners. Uh, Andrew and Peter have a boat and they're partners with James and John in another boat. And he calls these fishermen in Galilee to follow him. Uh, and this, this is a very blue collar thing. Um, Galileans are not the top of the social structure and fishermen are probably not the top of the social structure in Galilee. Uh, verse 21, they go into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered in the synagogue and taught them. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as having authority and not as the scribes. That's the verse at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in, in the Gospel of Matthew, by the way. And straightway, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, or at least the verse says the same thing. There's a man with an unclean spirit. And what does he cry out? What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. What does Jesus say to this unclean spirit? Be quiet. And come out of him. Yeah, and it, it came out of him. And they're all amazed, verse 27, inasmuch as they question among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching? With authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And the report of him went out straightway everywhere into the all the region of Galilee roundabout. And straightway, immediately, they went out of the synagogue. They came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever. Immediately, they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and raised her up. The fever left her. And she served them. She ministered unto them. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were sick and possessed with demons. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick with diverse diseases, cast out many demons. And he suffered not the demons to speak because they knew it. Comments on this section, guys. I think this is really helpful um, just to see, uh, again, highlighting kind of what Justin was talking about, who Jesus is and his authority. Those are kind of the big points that are here. Um, and he has authority over a lot of things that he illustrates here. But one kind of interesting thing to think about, what Jesus has done so far in his authority, he's illustrated that whenever he says that you need to come follow me, that you need to come follow him. You see that with Simon and Andrew and James and John. Um, and there are people today who will try to teach like Jesus did, um, saying that you need to follow me. I'm the one with authority. Follow me. <laughs> um, you know, I could I could teach that way. I could say, you know, you guys have to listen to me. <laughs> you know, follow me. Um, if I claim to have that authority to follow me, would you follow me? <laughs> if you raised the dead, made a leper cleansed, made a blind man see, made a lame man lame from birth walk. Yeah. yeah, I'd need to conclude what Nicodemus concluded. Nobody can do those things unless God is with them. 
Yeah, yeah, not without proof, right? And Jesus doesn't leave people without proof. He gives them plenty of proof and evidence that he is who he says he is. He has the authority. Uh, and the specific one here in like verse 21 through 28 is he has authority over unclean spirits. Um, he, he tells the spirit, come out, and it does. <laughs> um, it, just, it just leaves. Um, you know, just by his words, he can command things. Um, and he goes on with his words right after that, after he cast the demon out, to start teaching the same words that he used in the same voice that he used to cast the demon out he teaches them and that's what catches the crowd's attention in verse 27 they're all amazed and saying what is this new teaching that he has with this authority um and again like you can go and compare through the other gospels the way that jesus taught some of the things that he would say like uh in in matthew chapter five over and over he would say you have heard it said to you but i say to you now and that's his authoritative like I am the one that can tell you this or that uh, type of thing. So, so Jesus illustrates with his actions that his words are powerful and need to be listened to. Justin. And, and here too, I think we link up authority with salvation. Uh, Jesus is not using authority to gain prominence or position in this life. Uh, he's using it to teach people. He's using it to cast out the power of demons. Uh, he's using it to heal people. Uh, so his authority, uh, the people see as salvation. Um, the people originally back in First Samuel wanted a king who would save them from their enemies. Um, people today who try to take authority is, is for themselves, often and not for the sake of the people they serve. Jesus shows he's, he's a good, kind, compassionate leader. And in that, I think it's really interesting. We get some insight into uh, the Jewish culture of that time. So in verse 32, uh, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick. So it's the Sabbath day, they're at the synagogue. Uh, and this, that's why they're at the synagogue, it seems. And so, you know, verse 21, he's on the Sabbath, he's entered there, he's teaching. They see him cast out this demon, and they go, whoa, this guy can help everybody I know. And you imagine them going home and having their Sabbath day meal, and they're sitting around talking about what Jesus did that day. And they you know what? I bet Aunt Ruth could really use some help from this Jesus guy. Oh, oh, you know what? I bet Cousin Zacchaeus. And they just go, they're, they're talking about their friends and relatives who need Jesus. And I imagine them sitting there waiting at the door, watching the sunset until the last rays of the Sabbath day had passed. And they, all right, let's go. <laughs> let's go see Jesus. And I think that's instructed to us. Jesus is so great. Don't wait. Don't wait to go to him. Uh, he can help you. Uh, so... They're waiting until it's, you know, kosher. It's by law they can go, I guess. Uh, and then Jesus doesn't turn them away. You know, he stays up late until the evening uh, helping these people who come to him. I think it's just incredible what they see and their immediate response. And Jesus is full help uh, because he has the authority to help them. Yeah, and, and you just think about it. Like, it's a really cool picture um, in verse 32, like what you're talking about. The, the whole city, in verse 33, sorry, verse 33, the whole city was gathered together at the door. It's like they know there's somebody in that house that can fix all of our problems, um, that can that can save us, that can heal us, that can do all this stuff. And Jesus is doing it. He's not turning people away. He's, he's, he's helping people um, with that. And, you know, wouldn't you do what they did if you knew that there was someone in town who could cure you and all of those that you care about, wouldn't you bring them with you to come to that person? Um, you know, absolutely. If, if you've got a guy that can cure cancer that's in town, 100% and it's proven, and you have family members that have cancer, 
you're bringing your family members there, right? But what the gospel is going to illustrate and going to show is while sickness and disease are hard and, and Jesus has authority and power to, to cure those, that's not the biggest problem that people are facing. The biggest issue is separation from God. But Jesus illustrates through the gospels, he can still solve that problem too. <laughs> and, and he's going to in the gospel. And, and again, the question is still there. If you knew someone that could solve your biggest problem was just waiting for you to come and solve that for you, wouldn't you go to him and wouldn't you bring all of the people you care about with you? Absolutely. I think that's, this story is just really cool because you just see how quickly people are like, oh, he's the one that can solve this. Let's go. And that should be the excitement level that we have. So Paul said, I mean, Jesus said to the apostles, I'll make you fishers of men. Uh, and what is Andrew? We already looked at what Andrew did. He went and got his brother. Philip goes and gets Nathaniel of uh, the Samaritan woman leaves her water pot behind, which was the reason she went out to the well, and runs into the village saying, hey, you know, can this man be the Messiah? You know, and uh, uh, so it, it's it's not something to keep yourself. You guys remember the story of the lepers in Samaria when it was being besieged? And they can't be in the city uh, because they're lepers, but the, the, the enemy army is out there and one of them said, why sit we here until we die? You know, if, if we sit here, we're going to die. Um, if we go out to the enemy, the worst that's happened is that we're going to die. So let's go for it. And they go out there, and God had caused the enemy to panic and run away and leave all their stuff. And so these lepers, suddenly there's all this, you know, goods and gold and, and, and food and clothing and they're like grabbing it and then one of them says what? Can't keep this good news to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. We've got basically paraphrasing we're, we're, we're going to be in trouble if we keep this to ourselves. This is good news. We need to spread it to other people. And same with us. All right. Hey, guys, anything more on that text, or are we ready to read it on to what happens next? Just, just one thing here. I, I, it's, it comes up every time I go through Mark, um, whether I'm studying with unbelievers or believers. Why did Jesus not permit the demons to speak? Um, I, I know I've, I've got a response I give to that question. But I'm curious if, if you could give us a quick response. How do you uh, answer that question? I would say maybe two things. One, uh, you want to watch out who you're getting endorsed by. Um, a couple of elections ago, a fellow that used to be in the Ku Klux Klan endorsed a politician. And then the politician at first apparently didn't know exactly who he had been. Uh, you, you, you want to watch where your endorsement is coming from. Also, Jesus doesn't open up with I am the Messiah. The case is being built. And he's going to be saying things like, let him that has ears hear. Uh, he's going to be saying, seek and you will find. He's going to be saying, if I bear witness of myself, it's not true. Look at the witness of others. Look at the witness of John. Look at the witness of the miracles. Look at the witness of the prophecies. And he will occasionally say, I am the Messiah. He did that for the blind man. You know, 
and he did that for the Samaritan woman. But he's he's building up and in, in uh, repeatedly in the Gospel of John, there will be Jesus will kind of avoid a certain situation for his time was not yet. So I would suggest that those two things have a play in it. Jonathan, Justin. Yeah, I think that's usually what I what I point out. I mean, one, it's it's bad PR to have the demons <laughs> vouching for you. Um, that's just more of kind of practical thing and an opinion. But over all throughout the Gospels, he'll he'll say, "My time has not yet come." I have this plan. I'm following the Father's purpose, and and the final, you know, full revelation of, of who He is is purposed for that time when He goes to Jerusalem in the last week. And in the last week, you see Jesus not pulling any punches with with who He is and what His what His uh, intentions are. So it's just the timing of it. I think. And and one thing that that does is it helps us to see Jesus is different than I mean politicians. Uh, you know, modern rulers, you know, we want to lead with just, wait, do you know who I am? <laughs> we want people to see how powerful we are. Uh, and Jesus is patient to let people see that at the right time because he has a different purpose than to, to gather uh, some earthly following. That's helpful. If I can read this uh, next section, then we'll probably stop, I'm guessing, like at verse 39. Uh, but verse 35 says, rising very early in the morning. While it was still dark, he departed, and he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us also go to the next towns, so that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Um, I really like this paragraph because it shows a little bit into Jesus's like habits and his priorities. Um, the first thing that you see is he gets up really early in the morning, and he'd been up late into the evening, um, but he gets up early in the morning also to do what? He wants to go and talk to God. <laughs> he wants to go and pray. And what that should show you is that prayer is important to Jesus. Um, you know, it, it takes precedent over a full night's rest uh, in, in Jesus. He, he goes to bed late, wakes up early so that he can go and talk with God. That's a priority. Um, and you know, I, I wonder why Jesus wanted to pray so badly to the father. And this is my opinion, but I imagine that he missed his father and he wanted to talk to, him. um, Jesus was with the father in the beginning. John one says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. The word was God. Jesus will pray in detail about that in John 17, that, you know, we were together before the foundation of the world and the father loved the son and the son loved the father, but he's left to come to earth to fulfill his mission. And he wants to speak to God. And that's just, you know, an opinion that I have here. But he, he clearly illustrates that, you know, prayer is important to him. And if prayer is important to Jesus, it should be important to us. Um, just. Well, and, and usually I would think, okay, like you said, he's been up late at night um, to re-energize. He's going to need sleep. And so we'll sleep in when we've had a long, hard day before, or we've been up late at night. Uh, Jesus to re-energize, spend his time with the Father. Uh, recently, I was speaking with someone who was talking about trying to uh, fit more prayer into their life. And uh, we just discussed how, you know, and I, I have trouble with this too, but that's just the wrong approach. We're not trying to fit more prayer into our lives until we get to the point where we realize just how desperate we are for God's help. We won't pray like we should. Uh, Jesus wasn't trying to find time to pray. He, he knew that he needed God's help if he was going to do this work well. Uh, I think that's 
So Jesus needed to pray, uh, to spend time with the Father, to uh, gain the strength he needed to do the work, then absolutely we do too. All right, let's, let's go ahead and try to get to the end of chapter one. We got four minutes, uh, but it, if we can at least get a chapter of time as we're going through Mark, it'll be good. Verse 40, there comes to him a leper, beseeching him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Being moved with compassion, he stretched forth his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be you made clean. I want to make a comment here and then I'm like wanting you to finish the text. Did Jesus have to touch somebody to heal him? No. Give an example or two. Um, with the centurion's daughter, he didn't even go into the house. Yeah, the centurion's servant. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. Um, Later, you got the Syrophoenician woman, her daughter, as a demon, Jesus heals her from the distance. But for this man, Jesus touches him. What was it like to be a leper? Totally isolated. You're unclean. You have to keep people away from you. It's kind of your responsibility to say, stay away. Um, you're, you're an outcast of society. Yeah. And in, in Jewish literature, it'll talk about rabbis throwing rocks at the lepers, you know, to keep them away. And back in the, in the Torah, you know, if somebody can near you or cover say unclean unclean so if you um, you know sometimes you've got a cold or something or, or the flu and you don't get to see your family or you know be as close to them or something it's it's nice to have that physical interaction imagine being a lecker. how long has it been since somebody touched it Jesus had compassion and reached out and touched. Somebody finish this text for us. And then in verse 43, Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and, this, and spread the news. And so that Jesus could no longer enter openly into a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Yeah, so it's just, I think, really impressive the, the compassion that Jesus has. And I like the interaction that the leper has with him. He starts off by saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean, illustrating his faith because he says, I, I know that you can do this. But what is what, what the deciding factor is, is not if you can or if you can't, it's are you willing to do it? Um, and just like us, you know, the, the cleansing of the unclean depends largely on Jesus's willingness. And the good news here in this story and for us is that Jesus is willing. Um, and, and the cleanness happens. And Patrick writes, in addition to confirming the word, miracles were done out of compassion. Yep. Occasionally we have a miracle that's punitive, like Saul Tarsus being struck blind, which also was a great favor to him. It could have been to heal this as well. But uh, you could have just done, you know, make the sky turn orange or something. That would show power. But this also was compassion. Justin, final thoughts, and then Jonathan will wrap us up. 
Just a thought here about this man's response. Um, I kind of wish verse 45 just weren't part of Mark 1. It is kind of confusing. The man is told, don't go tell anybody about what I did. Jesus says, just go and uh, have the proper response to the law. You know, go and offer the sacrifices uh, for your cleansing and to be confirmed. Welcome back into the congregation of Israel. But he goes and he disobeys Jesus. And you almost can't blame him because, I mean, I'd be excited too. I haven't been able to see friends, family, being near them for a long time. I'm out in public and I've got to give some explanation for why I'm suddenly clean again. You know, it's been a long time since I've seen you, Jehoiado. You know, why are you, I'm making up Hebrew names, but you know, why is it that you're clean again? Um, it'd be a hard thing to explain. But the fact is this man disobeys Jesus. And the result is that he makes Jesus's work difficult for him. Uh, I think to me, what I'm seeing here is that no matter what good intention we may have, if, if we disobey Jesus, if we disobey God, we end up making his work more difficult. We get in his way. We don't want to slow him down. Uh, so we need to be careful that we, we do what Jesus said to do, even if we think we've got a better way. That's a good question. So that's the, the opening of Mark's gospel, uh, Mark chapter one. And like Scott said at the beginning, um, what we want to do, hopefully Lord willing, is kind of work through a chapter at a time, um, maybe once a month or, or uh, something along those lines to just get some exposure to Jesus, learn more about Jesus and, and see him more. Um, so we hope that that's helpful for you all listening. Thank you to our audience for joining in and, and participating with us. And if you have any questions or comments specifically about uh, the Gospel of Mark or, or anything else related to the Bible, you can submit those to us at BibleQuest.tv, and we'll be happy to get to those in our future shows. Um, but that's all that we have for this week, and so we'll plan on seeing everyone next Tuesday. We'll